I love these Christmas reflections that we've been watching the past few Sundays. They've been so good. And we'll show you our final Christmas video in our Christmas Eve services again at 4 or 5.30 this Saturday. So I hope you'll join us and celebrate Christmas with us in one of those services. Um, Today is the final Sunday that we will be together in the new year. Since we're not gathering on Christmas Day, this will be the final uh, service that we'll be together. So uh, I I want to end uh, 2022 today by looking at one more angel passage in the Bible. We've spent several weeks together looking at key passages in the Bible where humans had interactions with angelic beings. So I want to read to you from what is probably the most popular Christmassy angel passage in the Bible from Luke chapter 2. And then I want us to spend just a few minutes together thinking about your personal Hanukkah. If you came to church today thinking, ooh, I hope we think about my personal Hanukkah today, then (laughs) you're in luck. Uh, Luke chapter 2, verse 1 says, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. The angel said, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. When these angels burst into the night sky in the fields outside of Bethlehem to interrupt the the night of these sleepy shepherds, they were functioning like news commentators. They were like a news anchor announcing that the times that the prophets had predicted had come. So when those delirious shepherds trying to keep watch were were overwhelmed by light and they heard this message, the the angels were, were declaring the things that the prophets have predicted are upon us. Now, when we think of a prophet today, 
And I'm not talking about a financial margin. I'm talking about people who speak the words of God. When we think of a prophet today, we often think of someone who's a a fortune teller or a, a future teller, someone who predicts events that are yet to come. But an Old Testament prophet was less a future teller and more a truth teller. God gave the prophets an ability to see the world and understand the world and the happenings of the world from the perspective of heaven. They could see the things that were happening here from God's perspective and God's wisdom. So that gave the prophets a courage and a boldness to confront the status quo. In fact, one of the things that prophets did was they identified idolatrous or unjust systems, and then they confronted the powers that sponsored them. Consequently, they didn't always live that long. (laughs) If part of your job description is to speak truth to power, you don't always get to retire with a nice, comfortable little pension. But these prophets had an ability to see the world in a way that the average person couldn't. And I want to give you an illustration from science that um, I think captures this idea. If we can all kind of travel back in our thinking to elementary school, and do you all remember your crush? Like, didn't you all have a crush on one of your teachers in elementary school? Was that just me? I wonder how many little kids had crushes on Linda Wallace. I bet there are thousands of little boys that were just in love with Miss Wallace. Um, But if you can travel back to elementary school... We all learned that Sir Isaac Newton was the first person to put forth the idea of the law of gravity. Now, Newton was not the first person to notice that if an apple breaks loose from the tree, it doesn't float around like a helium balloon, it falls. And any object that gets broken loose false. That's not a new occurrence. It happened back then. He wasn't the first person to notice that an apple falls to the ground, but he was the first person to ask why. Why does an apple fall to the ground? Why does every object drop? And so he thought and he imagined and he did experiments and he put forth for us the idea that there is a law called gravity. So yay, Newton. That was good job. Well, Einstein came along later And Einstein added some thought to Newton's thinking. Einstein had such a fascinating mind. And and he said, yes, there is a law of gravity that does pull things down. But what if we were able to ride the apple as it fell? What if we could all climb onto the apple's back and fall to the ground with the apple? What would speed feel like to us? Um, and, And what would time feel like? And then he he took the thought a little bit further, and he said, what if we were all standing in an elevator, and this elevator had an endless elevator shaft, so it was just dropping deeper and deeper into the depths of the earth. He said, as soon as the elevator started dropping, we would feel the lurch, and we would know that we were falling, and our stomach would turn a little bit, but after a few seconds on the elevator, we would acclimate. And we wouldn't even realize anymore that we were falling. In fact, even though we're hurling down to this abyss, we could jump up and down or, or, or dance or make out with our sweetheart. Or, although not anybody on this, I saw our high school students over here. 
I could make out with my sweetheart. Um, as we're, and we wouldn't even notice because the speed would feel normal. Anyway, it was this kind of thinking that got Einstein pondering and then eventually presenting his theory of relativity, how, how speed and even time can change in certain circumstances. Now, if Einstein's a little bit heady for us, we all understand that right now we are sitting on a planet that is racing around our sun at 67,000 miles per hour. You are hurling through space right now. And not only that, but we are rotating on our planet's axis at 1,000 miles an hour. So right now, as I talk to you, you are spinning like a top, and you are racing through the solar system, but you don't even notice it. In fact, we can't even know that that's actually happening unless we are able to measure our system against a fixed object outside our system. So we're not even able to know that we're moving like this unless we can measure our speed against the stars or the sun or something that's fixed outside the system that we're in. You do not feel like you're driving at 80 miles per hour when you're inside the car. But if you were outside that system, if you were standing on the sidewalk and a car flies by you at 80, it's, it's racing. If it were possible to take a person from another dimension and drop them immediately into our speed, they would get hurled into outer space. But if they sit here for a while, they begin to acclimate. And since the speed is constant, the speed begins to feel normal. God gave the Old Testament prophets an ability to compare the movements and the speed and the direction of the world around them up against a God who stood outside that system. And they were able to see this is where the world is moving. And so even if every citizen in the nation thought it was normal and right to go one way, the prophets had the insight to compare that drift or that, that, that race against what we call the immutability or the unchangeableness of God. Do, do you think it's possible that there are movements today? That there are patterns or changes that we think are normal, and yet they're not in sync with the will and the ways and the movements of God. On the night of that first Noel, that first Christmas when these angels appeared to the shepherds, they were saying, the time has come to reconnect the movements of this world to the reality of God's world. And I think we probably all love that verse from uh, chapter 2, verse 4, when, when that angel choir said, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. I think we love that verse because we all want to see more peace on earth. I want to see more peace on earth out there, but I want to see more peace on earth in here. I need more peace in my emotions and, and in the integration of who I am and my, my mental and emotional health. We all relate to that, that ache for peace on earth, but I don't know that, that we Westerners 
can really grasp the intensity of the emotion that they would have felt if, if, if we were first century Jews living at this time. See, Israel was founded as a nation in slavery. Their exodus from slavery occurred under some insane spiritual warfare. Their entrance into their promised land was marked by war after war after war. After they were established and became prosperous and then kind of walked away from God, they started getting defeated by the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Persians, the Greeks under Alexander the Great, and then Rome under the Caesars. So by the time the angel showed up saying, it's time for peace on earth, these people were desperate for it. Tomorrow is Hanukkah. It's the beginning of the eight-day Jewish celebration. It's a celebration that we call the Festival of Lights, and it's a celebration that commemorates a brief time in Israel's history when Israel was able to push back against oppressors and actually become free. I want to remind you of the founding and the launch of Hanukkah, because here's where I'm taking us today. I want to move all of us to a place where by the end of the morning, we can declare, as 2022 winds down, our own personal Hanukkah. In the second century BC, the Greek general Antiochus IV invaded Jerusalem, wiped out the city, desecrated the temple, sacrificed pigs on the holy Jewish altar, went, went into the Holy of Holies, the place where the Ark of the Covenant would have been kept, although by this time in history it had been lost. And they established and they set up a statue to the Greek god Zeus. And, and those two acts of sacrificing swine on the altar and then establishing a, an idol to Zeus would have been the height of adding insult to injury. Because remember, in Jewish kosher laws, swine were unclean. And so to sacrifice a pig... Instead of a spotless lamb or some other endorsed sacrifice would have been horrifying. And to, and to build a statue to a god made after the image of violent and petty and lustful humans would have been appalling. Remember, um, a, a devout Jew believed that God was so holy they wouldn't even say the name of God out loud. See, we, we say Yahweh, but they wouldn't have said that. The, the name was too holy. In fact, if we were writing out Yahweh, that would be too much. If, if, even today, if, if they were writing Yahweh in English, they would omit the vowels. Here, look at a picture of, the, the, we call this the tetragrammaton. It's a fancy name to say that we don't pronounce the vowels because God's name is too holy. And so to, to, to do what happened to the temple was a horrifying moment in their history. It, it was a crushing moment, especially after already being conquered by world power after world power after world power. But there was a priest in Israel at that time named Mattathias. And Mattathias had five sons. His youngest son was named Judah. And they, they nicknamed him Judah Maccabee the Hammer. And they decided to push back. And they rallied the people to come together to push back against Antiochus and the Greek army. And if you don't mind me saying it this way, 
This would have been similar to Ukraine pushing back against Russia in the sense that the Jewish people were outgunned, outmanned, outclassed militarily, never should have been able to win, but they did. They pushed back the Greek army, they reestablished their autonomy as a nation, and they, they inaugurated a period in Jewish history that we call the Maccabean era. This was a period of about 130 years where they were autonomous. They were their own kingdom again until Rome came in. By the time Jesus showed up, Rome was dominating the region, but before that had happened, they were free. Hanukkah, the festival of lights, is the celebration that commemorates that pushback from the Maccabean boys and the people that they gathered. Now, Hanukkah is not a, a celebration you see in the Bible because it happened after Moses. It happened in the intertestamental time, in between the Old and New Testament. So, so Hanukkah, uh, in the mind of a, of, a, of a devout Jewish person, would be similar to the Feast of Purim. Do you remember that from the book of Esther? If you're, have you ever read the book of Esther? In, in the story of Esther, Haman wanted to annihilate the Jews living in Persia, would have succeeded if Mordecai and his cousin Esther hadn't intervened and interceded with the king. The, the Jewish people were given permission to fight back. They actually won. They won their freedom. And today, they still celebrate the Feast of Purim. In fact, it's kind of funny, interesting. Children today, during the Feast of Purim, write the name Haman on the bottom of their shoes so that all celebration long, they stomp on Haman, remembering the victory that God gave them. Hanukkah is a celebration of victory. It's marked by joy, gratitude, and light. We call it the festival of lights. So I find it very interesting. In Luke chapter 2, that the announcement of the birth of Christ came with a brilliant blast of light. So brilliant, they had to describe it as the glory of God. So before the shepherds could make out the shape of an angel, and before they heard any words of deliverance, they were overwhelmed with light. So I don't think it's a stretch to imagine that a first century Jewish shepherd who's overwhelmed with light in the middle of the darkest part of night and then hears promises of rescue might make a connection between that and Hanukkah. Hanukkah cleansed the temple. Hanukkah was a pushback that, 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 that restored the temple to its proper purpose. The heroic stand of the Maccabean boys and the people who gathered with them restored the temple to its proper place of worship. Are you with me? Mm -hmm. Now, Don's with me. <laughs> we don't have a temple anymore in Christianity, do we? Or do we? Uh, once Jesus came and ministered, gave his life, was raised from the dead, ascended back to the Father, his followers began to reread their national Old Testament history through the lens of what Jesus came to do. And they started to realize in fresh ways that from the beginning, God had desired a permanent place where he could relate with humans. 
some theologians view the Genesis chapter 1 and the formation of creation. Some theologians view that as the, the establishing and the arranging of a temple. And after all of the conditions were just right in this temple, humans were placed there so that God could come down and dwell with them. When Moses set up his tabernacle in the wilderness, the glory of God filled the tabernacle, the place where people would meet with God, with what seemed to be fire. When Solomon built his extravagant temple, by the way, Solomon's temple, they think, would have been worth about $7 billion today. When he built his temple, the glory of God filled the temple like fire. After the Jewish exile in Babylon, when the returning exiles rebuilt the damaged temple, the glory of God filled the temple like fire. Each of these infillings was a reminder of the truth that God was aching and looking for a place to, to meet with his people and be present in a tangible, powerful way. And then we come to the New Testament. And in 1 Corinthians 6, the Apostle Paul says that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And all of those other temples all along the way were pointing to this New Testament realization that God wants to be Emmanuel dwelling with you. So in Acts chapter 2, on the birthday of the launch of the church, the Holy Spirit filled the people with the glory of God in a way that looked like tongues of fire. Here's the message today. Just as in the days of the Maccabean revolt, we are living in a time when outside forces want to influence and move and direct and repurpose the temple, us, the people who would claim allegiance and identity with God. And, 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 and I think it's time for us to declare our own personal Hanukkah. As 2022 winds down and a new year begins, I love that nickname, Judah the Hammer. I think there are times in our lives when we need to pick up a hammer and we need to say, where has my life been repurposed into something that is not what God intended? When did I get on these paths and these tracks and these courses that have actually taken me away from destiny? Um, what sits on the throne of your life today? What image is standing straight and tall in the deepest recesses of your heart? You know, in the places where nobody can see. Is it fear? Is it too much worry? Is it control or the illusion of control? Is it, uh, is it trauma that's unhealed and unrepaired? Is it uh, ego? Is it some temptation that you never seem to be able to shake? Listen, if you want to change your life in 2022, if you want a new year in the new year, and by the way, not everybody has a new year in the new year. There's going to be a lot of people this year who do not experience 2023. They just experience 2022 on repeat. Some people experience the same year over and over and over and over and over. If we want a new year, if we want a fresh purpose in 
our lives, then then we have to do something different. We have to follow the footsteps of these shepherds because the footsteps of these shepherds took them somewhere. They took them to the Savior of the world who had come in fulfillment of the prophetic word to set the world back on track. And so if you want a new year, let's follow the footsteps of the shepherds. They did a few things. Number one, if you want a new year in the new year, it starts with humility. Shepherding was the humblest profession of the day. Sleeping in a field while everyone's tucked away in the city is very humbling. Smelling like sheep. I have a thing about smells. I feel like I I shower in cologne. It kind of bugs my girls at times. But smelling like sheep when other people smell like celebration or cologne or perfume is humbling. It starts with humility, but number two, it also takes obedience. And that makes sense because obedience is always how humility gets expressed. Um, Philippians 2.8 tells us that Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient, even obedient to the point of death. So it's actually very easy to see how humble a person is when we look at how obedient a person is. So as we ponder the state of the temple, the state of our souls, how quick are we to obey? How quick are we to respond to the Spirit's work in our life? the guidance, the push, the prompting? How determined are we to follow what we believe Jesus revealed in the scriptures? Um, A person's humility level is directly connected to their obedience level. And and by the way, James 4 and 1 Peter 5 tells us that humility is the elevator that lifts people up. The Bible said God gives grace to the humble and God elevates the humble. So it takes humility, which is expressed as obedience, but it, also, it takes more than that. I love number three. It also requires a child. Let me read the verse again that Susan read in our Advent reflection. Isaiah 9, 6 says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of peace. How often do you fall at the feet of this child? How much does worship occupy your life? Um, How strong is your, your appeal to the Christ child, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, to work in your life and do something in your life and move you into alignment with his will and his plan? These were humble shepherds. And they were humble because they were obedient. And in their obedience, they went according to the word of the Lord until they found the child and then fell at his feet. And then once they encountered the child, now this is where we get all self-helpy and peppy. This is when they went in a fierce pursuit of Hanukkah. Once they found the child and once they saw what was happening, they went from door to door, house to house, declaring that the times had come. John the Baptist was not the first New Testament evangelist. These shepherds were. And they went and and declared um, that he was here. Listen, if we'll do these things, if we'll humble ourselves, if we'll, we'll humble ourselves by practicing obedience to the Holy Spirit, if we will seek God until we find him, there's a difference between saying prayers and seeking until. 
There's a difference from asking, seeking, knocking, looking, inquiring, and doing all of that until you find. If we will seek him until we find him. If, if there's a fierce pursuit in our soul, I tell you what, 2023 will be better. At the end of 2023, you will be better. Our church will be healthier. The reputation of Jesus in the world will shine. The, the Christmas story tells us that there's a pathway to peace on earth. Jesus Christ is the pathway to peace, and this is the pathway to Jesus. So where, where have we drifted? Where have we normalized our dysfunction? Where has the temple of your life been repurposed and now we don't even notice anymore that this isn't what God originally had for me? Um, where do we need work? Where do we need to respond? Um, I'd like to have the worship team rejoin me. On, on our last Sunday here in 2022, I would like for us to build an altar. I, I told you a second ago about some of the temples that were built. I didn't mention the altars of the Old Testament. In between Moses and Solomon's temple, the patriarchs built altars. Uh, the, the patriarchs came to points in their lives where they would build a miniature temple and they would let something die there. And then they would get up from this miniature temple and their entire life would move in a different direction. And I think maybe one of the best ways to end a year is to commit to let certain things die with the year. What needs to be put to rest with 2022? You can carry it into the new year if you want to. I don't want to. I'm tired of having a three-month year. I want 12 months of a new year. I want a new year in the new year. So why don't you stand with me? We're going to sing one final song today. We're going to sing the song, Build My Life, which is all about reattaching our lives to the rock and the foundation of, of Christ and his purpose. And then I'm going to lead us in a prayer of, of repentance and recommitment and kind of declaration of inaugurating a season of, of personal Hanukkah.